0: Chapter Two of Perfect Behavior A Guide for Ladies and Gentlemen in All Social Crises. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Perfect Behavior A Guide for Ladies and Gentlemen in All Social Crises, by Donald Ogden Stewart. Chapter Two The Etiquette of Engagements and Weddings. The Historic Aspect. Matrimony, sings Homer, the poet, is a holy estate and not lightly to be entered into. The Old Roman is right. A modern wedding is one of the most intricate and exhausting of social customs. Young men and women of our better classes are now forced to devote a large part of their lives to acting as brides, grooms, ushers, and bridesmaids at various elaborate nuptials. Weeks are generally required in preparation for an up-to-date wedding— Months are necessary in recovering from such an affair. Indeed, some of the participants, notably the bride and groom, never quite get over the effects of a marriage. It was not always thus. Time was when the wedding was a comparatively simple affair. In the Paleolithic age, for example, as Mr. H. G. Wells of England points out in his able Outline of History, There is no evidence of any particular ceremony conjunctive with the marriage of a male and a female. Even with the advent of Neolithic man, a wedding seems to have been consummated by the rather simple process of having the bridegroom crack the bride over the head with a plain, unornamented stone axe. There were no ushers, no bridesmaids. But shortly after that, circa 10,329 to 30 BC to be exact, two young Neoliths named Haig, living in what is now supposed to be Scotland, discovered that the prolonged distillation of common barley resulted in the creation of an amber-coloured liquid which, when taken internally, produced a curious and not unpleasant effect. This discovery had, and still has, a remarkable effect upon the celebration of the marriage rite. Gradually, there grew up around the wedding a number of customs. With the Hague Brothers' discovery of Scotch whisky began as a matter of course, the institution of the bachelor dinner. Necessity is the mother of invention, and exactly 12 years after the first bachelor dinner came the discovery of bicarbonate of soda. From that time down to the present day, the history of the etiquette of weddings has been that of an increasing number of intricate forms and ceremonies, each age having added to its particular bit of ritual. The modern wedding may be said to be, therefore, Almost an outline of history itself. Announcing the engagement. Let us begin, first of all, with the duties of one of the minor characters at a wedding the groom. Suppose that you are an eligible young man named Richard Rowe, who has just become engaged to a young lady named Dorothy Doe. If you really intend to marry the girl, it is customary that some formal announcement of the engagement be made for which you must have the permission of Miss Dorothy and her father. It is not generally difficult to become engaged to most girls, but it will surprise you to discover how hard it is to get the young lady whom you believe to be your fiance to consent to a public announcement of the fact. The reason for this probably is that an engagement which has been announced often leads to matrimony, and matrimony in polite society often lasts for several years. After you have secured the girl's permission, It is next necessary that you notify her father of the engagement. In this particular case, as he happens to be your employer, the notification can take place in his office. First of all, however, it would be advisable to prepare some sort of speech in advance. Aim to put him as far as possible at his ease. Lead up to the subject gradually and tactfully. Abruptness is never good form. The following is suggested as a possible model. Good morning, Mr. Doe. Say, I heard a good story from a traveling salesman last night. It seems that there was a young married couple. Here, insert a good story about a young married couple. Wasn't that rich? Yes, sir. Marriage is a great thing, a great institution. Every young man ought to get married, don't you think? You do? Well, Mr. Doe, I've got a surprise for you. Here, move toward the door. I'm going to... Here, open the door. Mary, step out of the room, your daughter, close the door quickly. The Bride to Be. Before the public announcement of the engagement, it is customary for the bride to be to write personal letters to all other young men to whom she happens to be engaged at the time. These notes should be kindly, sympathetic, and tactful. The same note can be written to all, provided there is no chance of their comparing notes. The following is suggested. Dear Bob, Bob, I want you to be the very first to know that I am engaged to Richard Rowe. I want you to like him, Bob, because he is a fine fellow, and I would rather have you like him than anyone I know. I feel that he and I shall be very happy together, and I want you to be the first to know about it. Your friendship will always remain one of the brightest things in my life, Bob, but of course I probably won't be able to go to the Aiken Dance with you now please don't tell anybody about it yet. I shall never forget the happy times you and I had together, Bob, and will you please return those silly letters of mine. I am sending you yours. The Engagement Luncheon. The engagement is generally announced at a luncheon, given by the parents of the prospective bride. This is usually a small affair, only fifteen or twenty of the most intimate friends of the engaged couple being invited. It is one of the customs of engagement luncheons that all the guests shall be tremendously surprised at the news and great care should be taken to aid them in carrying out this tradition. On the invitations, for example, should be written some misleading phrase such as, to meet General Pershing, or not to announce the engagement of our daughter. The announcement itself, which should be made soon after the guests are seated, offers a splendid opportunity for the display of originality And should aim to afford the guest a surprise and perhaps a laugh for laughter of a certain quiet kind is often welcome at social functions one of the most favored methods of announcing an engagement is by the use of symbolic figures embodying the names of the affianced pair thus for example in the case of the present engagement of richard rowe to dorothy doe it would be unique To have the first course at luncheon consist of a diminutive candy or paper mache dough, seated amorously upon a heart-shaped order of a shad row. The guests will at first be mystified, but soon cries of, Oh, how sweet! will arise, and congratulations are then in order. Great care should be taken, however, that the symbolic figures are not misunderstood. It would be extremely embarrassing, for example, if in the above instance a young man named Shad, or Aquarium, were to receive the congratulations instead of the proper person. Other suggestions for symbolistic announcements of some of the more common names are as follows. Cohan O'Brien. Ice cream cones on a plate of O'Brien potatoes. Ames Green. Green ice cream in the shape of a man aiming at something. Thorn Hoyt. Figure of a man from Brooklyn pulling a thorn from foot. With expression on his face signifying this hoitz bullet bartlett bartlett Pears full of small 22 or 33 caliber bullets tweed ellis frosted cake in the shape of ellis island with a solitary figure of a man in a nice fitting tweed suit gordon fuller two papier-mâché figures one representing a young man full of gordon gin the other represented a young man, Fuller. Hatch, Gillette. Figure of a chicken surprised at having hatched a safety razor. Graves, Colgate. Figure of a man brushing his teeth in a cemetery. Hines, Fish. Fifty-seven assorted small fish, tastily arranged on one plate. Selecting the Bridal Party. As soon as the engagement has been announced, it is the duty of the prospective bride to select a maid of honor and eight or ten bridesmaids, while the groom must choose his best man and ushers. In making these selections, it should be carefully borne in mind that no wedding party is complete without the following. One bridesmaid who danced twice with the Prince of Wales. Two bridesmaids who never danced more than once with anybody. One bridesmaid who doesn't pet. One bridesmaid who was expelled from Miss Spence's. One bridesmaid who talks southern. One bridesmaid who met Douglas Fairbanks once. One bridesmaid who rode on the crew at Wellesley. One usher who doesn't drink anything. Nine ushers who drink anything. In some localities, following the announcement, it is customary for the bride's friends to give her a number of showers, These are for the purpose of providing her with various necessities for her wedded household life. These affairs should be informal, and only her dearest or wealthiest friend should be invited. A clever bride will generally arrange secretly for several of these showers by promising a certain percentage, usually 15% of the gross up to $500, and 25% bonus on all over that amount, to the friend who gives the party. Some of the more customary showers of common household articles for the new bride are toothpaste, milk of magnesia, screen doors, copies of services poems, Cape Cod lighters, pictures of Age of Innocence, and back numbers of the Atlantic Monthly. Invitations and wedding presents. The proper time to send out invitations to a wedding is between two and three weeks before the day is set for the ceremony although the out-of-town invitations should be mailed in plenty of time to allow the recipient to purchase and forward a suitable present. As the gifts are received, a check mark should be placed after the name of the donor, together with a short description of the present and an estimate as to its probable cost. This list is to be used later, at the wedding reception, in determining the manner in which the bride is to greet the various guests. It has been found helpful by many brides to devise some sort of memory system, whereby certain names immediately suggest certain responses. Thus, Mr. Snodgrass, copy of Highways and Byways in Old France, circa $6.50. How do you do, Mr. Snodgrass? Have you met my mother? Mr. Brackett, solid silver candlesticks, $68.50. Hello, Bob, you old peach. How about a kiss? The real festivities of a wedding start about three days before the ceremony, with the arrival of the wedding party, in which party the most responsible position is that of best man. Let us suppose that you are to be the best man at the ro nuptials. What are your duties? In the first place, you must prepare yourself for the wedding by a course of training extending for over a month or more prior to the actual event. It should be your aim to work yourself into such a condition that you can go for three nights without sleep, talk for hours to the most impossibly stupid of young women and consume an unending amount of alcohol. You were then prepared for the bachelor dinner, the bridal dinner, the bridesmaids, the wedding, and the wedding reception. Duties of the Best Man Upon your arrival in the city where the wedding is to take place, you will be met by the bridegroom, who will take you to the home of the bride, where you are to stay. There you are met by the bride's father. "'This is my best man,' says the groom. "'The best man?' replies her father. "'Well, may the best man win.' "'At once you reply, "'Ha, ha, ha!' "'He then says, "'Is this your first visit to Chicago?' "'To which the correct answer is, "'Yes, sir, but I hope it isn't my last.' "'The bride's mother then appears. "'This is my best man,' says the groom. "'Well,' says she, "'Remember, the best man doesn't always win.' "'Ha, ha, ha,' you at once reply. "'Is this your first visit to Chicago?' says she. To which you answer, "'Yes, but I hope it isn't my last.' You are then conducted to your room, where you are left alone to unpack. In a few minutes the door will open and a small boy enter. This is the brother of the bride. You smile at him pleasantly and remark, "'Is this your first visit to Chicago?' "'What are you doing?' is his answer. "'Unpacking,' you reply.' ''What's that?'' says he. ''A cutaway,'' you reply. ''What's that?'' says he. ''A collar bag. ''What's that?'' A dress shirt. ''What's that?'' says he. ''Another dress shirt. ''What's that?'' says he. ''Say, listen,'' you reply. ''Don't I hear someone calling you?'' ''No,'' says he. ''What's that?'' ''That,'' you reply with a sigh of relief, ''is a razor.'' Here, take it and play with it. In three minutes, if you have any luck at all, the bride's brother will have cut himself severely in several places, which will cause him to run crying from the room. You can then finish unpacking. The bride's tea. The first function of the prenuptial festivities is generally a tea at the bride's home, where the ushers and bridesmaids meet to become acquainted. It is your duty, as best man, to go to the hotel where the ushers are stopping and bring them to this tea. Just as you will leave on this mission, the groom will whisper in your ear, For God's sake, remember to tell them that her father and mother are terribly opposed to drinking in any form. This is an awfully good joke on her father and mother. As you step out of the hotel elevator, you hear, at the end of the hall, a chorus shouting, Mademoiselle from Armentiers, parlez-vous? those are your ushers. Opening the door of the room, you step forward and announce, fellows, we have got to go to a tea right away. Come on, let's go. At this, ten young men in cutaways will stand up and shout, yeah, the best man, give the best man a drink. From then on, at twelve minute intervals, it is your duty to say, fellows, we have got to go to a tea right away. Come on, let's go. Each time you will be handed another drink which you may take with either your right or left hand. After an hour, the telephone will ring. It will be the groom. He will say, Everybody is waiting for you in the ushers, to which you reply, We are just leaving. He then says, And don't forget to tell them what I told you about her mother and father. You then hang up the receiver, take a drink in one hand and say, Fellows, I have a very solemn message for you. It's a message which is of deep importance to each one of us. Fellows, her father and mother object to the use of alcohol in any form. This statement will be greeted with applause and cheers. You will then take one more drink, put on your silk hats and gray gloves, and leave the room singing. Her father and mother object to drink. Parlez-vous? The tea given by the bride's parents is generally a small affair to which only the members of the wedding party are invited. When you and the ushers arrive, you will find the bride, the maid of honor, and the bridesmaids waiting for you. As you enter the room, make a polite bow to the bride's father and mother, and be sure to apologize for your lateness. Nothing so betrays the social oil can as a failure to make a plausible excuse for tardiness. Whenever you are late for a party, you must always have some good reason for your fault, such as, excuse me, Mrs. Doe, I'm afraid I am a little late, but you see, Just as I was dressing, this filling dropped out of my tooth, and I had to have it put back in. If the host and hostess seem to doubt your statement, it would be well to show them the recalcitrant filling in question. Although, if they are well-bred, they will probably, in most cases, take you at your word. The Maid of Honor You and the ushers will then be introduced to the bridesmaids and the maid of honor. As you meet this latter young lady, who is the bride's older sister and of course, your partner for the remainder of the wedding festivities, she will say, The best man? Well, they say the best man wins. Ha ha ha. This puts her in class G6 without further examination, and your only hope of prolonging your life throughout the next two days lies in the frequent and periodic administration of stimulants. The bachelor dinner and after. That evening, the groom gives for the best man and the ushers, what is known as a bachelor dinner. It is his farewell to his men friends as he passes out of the state of bachelorhood. The formal passing out generally occurs toward the end of the dinner and is a quaint ceremony participated in by most of those present. It is customary for the best man to wake up about noon of the following day. You will not have the slightest idea as to where you are or how you got there. You will be wearing your dress trousers, your stiff or pleated bosom dress shirt, black socks and pumps, and the coat of your pajamas. In one hand you will be clutching a chrysanthemum. After a few minutes there will come a low moan from the next bed. That is usually the groom, also in evening dress, with the exception that he has tried to put on the trousers of your pajamas over his dress trousers. You then say, what happened? To which he replies, oh Judas. You wait several minutes. In the next room, you hear the sound of a shower bath and someone whistling. The bath stops. The whistling continues. The door then opens and there enters one of the ushers. He is the usher who always feels great the next day after the bachelor dinner. He says to you, Well, boys, you look all in. You do not reply. He continues, Gosh, I feel fine. You make no response. He then begins to chuckle. I don't suppose you remember, he says, what you said to the bride's mother when I brought you home last night. You sit quickly up in bed. What did I say? You ask. Was I tight? Were you tight? He replies, still chuckling. Don't you remember what you said? And don't you remember trying to get the bride's father to slide down the banisters with you? Were you tight? Oh my gosh. He then exits, chuckling. Statistics of several important life insurance companies show that that type of man generally dies a violent death before the age of thirty. The rehearsal. The rehearsal for the wedding is usually held in the church on the afternoon preceding the day of the nuptials. The ushers, of course, are an hour late, which gives the bridegroom, Baptist, an opportunity to meet the minister, Episcopalian, and have a nice long chat about religion, while the best man, Atheist, talks to the 83-year-old Sexton, who buried the bride's grandpa and grandma and has knowed little Miss Dorothy come 20 years next Michaelmas. The best man's offer of $25, if the Sexton will at once bury the maid of honor, is generally refused as a matter of courtesy. The Bridal Dinner In the evening, the parents of the bride give the bridal dinner, to which all the relatives and close friends of the family are invited. Toasts are drunk in orange juice and rare old Virginia Dare wine, and much good natured fun is indulged in by all. Speeches are usually made by the bride and groom, their parents, the best man, the maid of honor, the minister, and Aunt Harriet. Just a word about the speeches at a bridal dinner. Terrible. A church wedding. On the day of the wedding, the ushers should arrange to be at the church an hour or so in advance of the time set for the ceremony. They should be dressed in cutaways, with ties, gloves, and gardenias provided by the groom. It is the duty of the best man to dress the bridegroom for the wedding. As you enter his room, you see, lying half-dressed on the bed, a pale, wan, emaciated creature who is staring fixedly at the ceiling. It is the happy bridegroom. His lips open. He speaks feebly. "'What time is it?' he says. You reply, Two-thirty, old man. Time to start getting dressed. Oh, my God, says the groom. Ten minutes pass. What time is it, says the groom? Twenty of three, you reply. Here's your shirt. Oh, my God, says the groom. He takes the shirt and tries to put it on. You help him. Better have a little scotch, old man, you say. What time is it, he replies. Five of three, you say. Oh, my God, says the groom. At three-thirty, you and he are dressed in cutaways, and promptly at three-forty-two, you arrive at the church. You are ushered into a little side room, where it is your duty to sit with the corpse for the few brief hours which elapse between three-forty-five and four o'clock. Occasionally, he stirs, and a faint spark of life seems to struggle in his sunken eyes. His lips move feebly. You bend over to catch his dying words. Have you got the ring he whispers yes you reply everything's fine you look great too old man the sound of the organ reaches your ears the groom groans have you got the ring he says meanwhile the ushers have been performing their duty of showing the invited guests to the various pews a correctly trained usher will always have ready some cheery word or sprightly bit of conversation to make the guests feel perfectly at home as he conducts them to their seats. It's a nice day, isn't it? is suggested as a perfectly safe and yet not too unusual topic of conversation. This can be varied by remarking, isn't it a nice day? Or in some cases, where you do not wish to appear too forward, is it a nice day or isn't it? An usher should also remember that although he has on a cutaway, he is neither a floor walker nor a bond salesman, and remarks such as, something in a dotted Swiss, or third aisle over, second pew, next the ribbon goods, are decidedly not au fait. The first two pews on each side of the center aisle are always reserved for members of the immediate family, but it is a firmly established custom that the usher shall seat in these family pews, at least three people with whom the family are barely on speaking terms. This slight error always causes Aunt Nellie and Uncle Fred to sit up in the gallery with the family cook. With the arrival of the bride, the signal is given to the organist to start the wedding march, usually either Mendelssohn's or Wagner's. About this time, the mother of the bride generally discovers that the third candle from the left on the rear altar has not been lighted, which causes a delay of some fifteen minutes during which time the organist improvises 173 variations on the opening strains of the march. Finally, all is adjusted, and the procession starts down the aisle led by the ushers swaying slowly side by side. It is always customary for three or four of the eight ushers to have absolutely no conception of time or rhythm, which adds a quaint touch of uncertainty and often a little humor to the performance. After the scotch mist left by the passing ushers has cleared, there come the bridesmaids, the maid of honor, and then, leaning on her father's arm, unless, of course, her father is dead, the bride. In the meantime, the bridegroom has been carried in by the best man and awaits the procession at the foot of the aisle, which is usually 440 yards long. The ushers and bridesmaids step awkwardly to one side. The groom advances and a hush falls over the congregation which is the signal for the bride's little niece to ask loudly what's that funny-looking man going to do aunt dottie there follows the religious ceremony immediately after the church service a reception is held at the bride's home where refreshments are served and 242 invited guests make the same joke about kissing the bride at the reception it is customary for the ushers and the best man to crawl off in separate corners and die The wedding festivities are generally concluded with the disappearance of the bride, the bridegroom, one of the uninvited guests, and four of the most valuable presents. End of chapter two.